And welcome back to the Boundary Corner Podcast, along with my partners, Brian Siegler and Tally. I am Curtis Wilson, and this episode is presented by Dr. Lord Jeremy Counts at the Main Street Pharmacy. If you love this podcast, the Hokies, the town of Blacksburg, make sure you are supporting the Main Street Pharmacy. Whether you need prescriptions, a tube of toothpaste, or just want to say hello, let Jeremy and his team take care of you. The money you spend at Main Street Pharmacy goes towards the things you support. So next time you're in Blacksburg, head on down to 301 South Main Street. Fellas, we got a big one on the slate tonight. We got a lot of topics to cover. We got some wrestling talk. We got some recruiting talk. We're going to talk some new coaches. We got a little bit of women's hoops talk to go through. So we got a full slate tonight. We are jam-packed, Allie. Yeah, pretty packed up, man. Ready I mean, to go. Everything. In just a little while here, Matei Sis from 247 going to jump on with us to talk all things recruiting. We're going to be talking with the new hires with him. Um, a lot to unload there. I think I think a couple curveballs. I think names we had heard did not were not what we saw. Um, but we're going to talk about that later. But we're going to kick off this evening. Me and Brian got to sit down with one of my really good friends by the name of David Fuqua. Um, David's one of my fraternity brothers. I've known him almost 20 years of my life. Uh, he was a division two wrestler down at Longwood and he is a hokey wrestling aficionado. And when, when, we, when I talked to him this few weeks ago about doing it, me and Brian and him were thinking what 15, 10, 15, 20 minutes. We got 30 minutes worth of content and it's jam packed as hokey as the Hokies are in the wrestling national finals starting on the 16th so starting thursday um with a chance so we're going to get to that first um so brian without further ado i'll let you punch the tape on that and then we will uh, be coming back all right here we go we got david fuqua interview airing right now both our podcast listeners tonight we have a very special guest with a few days away from Wrestling Nationals. I've talked about him all year. I mentioned the name David Fuqua. David, my fraternity brother. The man who took me to my personal greatest moment in Lane Stadium, 2005 Georgia Tech game day. For some reason, he gave me a ticket to come with him that night. I still don't know why, but I, ever since then, always been my brother. But David was a wrestler at Longwood. David is a very, very connoisseur of hokey wrestling. He follows them very closely. And as I was joking with him today, as the uh, wrestling, uh, uh, the stuff come out, Brian, he literally is last night going through in his office. He's a CPA, so he's working his ass off this time of year. He's literally going through seeing how far can each tech wrestler get. So we're going to bring him on tonight to talk about the season and nationals. Boundary Corner Podcast listeners, give a warm welcome to one of my best friends, David Fuqua. Hi. Hi, hey, how's it going tonight? Good. How about you? How are you guys doing? We're doing good, brother. We're doing good, man. I mean, talking Hokies football, basketball, which let's not talk about what happened last night. That was ugly. Um, lots of good things. But, man, Hokie wrestling, you know, you grew up down in the area. You grew up in Vinton, and you wrestled. Did you ever think Hokie wrestling would get where it is right now? Definitely not. Uh, I mean, there was talks where they were going to get rid of the program. Um, I know, especially even after, uh, before 
Kevin Dresser came on and when brands mm -hmm. went to Iowa, they were, I think they were about 24 hours away from dropping the program. Um, and yeah, what I, knew it was close. Did, I didn't know it was that close. It was Damn. close. Yeah, I think they were working on the PR and actually, you know, writing stuff up and we're, we're going to issue stuff out. But then Dresser came on and uh, he jumped in there and took the coaching position. And you know, obviously they are where they are now, uh, you know, him leading and then now coach Roby helping out. It's perfect. It is perfect. Yeah. And let, let's talk a little bit about this season and how that's going, like going into this season, kind of what were your expectations for the team? Uh, well, I mean, I was excited. Uh, there's a couple uh, weight classes that, you know, there were some battles for starting positions, uh, you know, 125 with, uh, um, you know, having Eddie and then uh, having uh, Cooper there going on, uh, you know, for a battle there. Even at 141, didn't know if, uh, you know, Tampa Tom was going to be able to, you know, take over, um, you know, and and be able to take that spot. So, uh, and he actually did, you know, you know, beat now Colin on that, which, uh, you know, he was a, a, a qualifier, you know, a couple times already. So, uh, so that was impressive in itself. Um, and then even at 65, we had, uh, a transfer in from Chattanooga, Drew Nicholson, who, uh, you know, he was a qualifier and come in to, to battle Connor Brady, too. So um, that and then, you know, as well as 197 with Andy Smith and, or the, the junkyard uh, junkyard dog. I don't know if he was going to, you know, who was going to take that on. So um, you had some solid guys, obviously, you know, you know, no coming back was Andonian and Makai and Matona. So you, you had your core group there. Um so I was excited. There's definitely, uh, you know, was thinking they were going to be able to go and, and, and get a dual championship and even conference championship, at least, you know, fight for it. So I yeah. was excited yeah. to see, you know, where they're going, you know, what they were planning on doing. And, you know, they had some tough tests early on, you know, Ohio State, um, you know, they, they definitely do their schedule right by, you know, testing themselves early and seeing where they're at, see where they need to be. Uh, so, I mean, that's that was kind of what I was expecting. And, you know, ultimately, overall, it was probably right where, you know, I, I expected them to be. And you had some guys jump out and some others that might have been a little bit uh, disappointed in times. But it's, it's wrestling. It's a tough, long season. So um, ebbs and flows. Absolutely. And you're right. I mean, I, I, top 10 ranking again. I think any Hokie sports fan, you see that, you know they're going to be good. You mentioned Ohio State. Ohio State's a good program. Beating Mizzou. I mean, I see – I'm looking at the championship. Mizzou's got guys all over the place that qualify. So, they're a quality program, Cornell, and playing, obviously, the ACC with NC State and Pitt. But let me ask this, and I don't want you to have to bust anybody, but let's just be realistic. What wrestler this year has exceeded your expectations? And who didn't quite hit where you thought they'd be or maybe in their development, you know, for this season? Uh, well, first and foremost, I mean, the one that is exceeded is, you know, the number four seed, Caleb Henson. I mean, immediately he came in. He was a, a highly touted recruit. Um, I mean, he's a true freshman starting. And the first dual meet that he had was against number two ranked Sammy Sasso of Ohio State, and he takes him out. So right off the bat, super impressed. And, yeah. uh, you know, and he ended up just losing. He lost three times. You know, one to Yanni, the number one ranked guy. Um, another one was to Mahler from uh, Mizzou, who is, uh, I think he's the eight seed, I believe. Um, and then you got the 12 seed, uh, Zap from Penn. Those are his three losses. So it's not like he lost to, 
<laughs> uh, you know, one of us coming in there. Right? So, uh, he's got some quality, and he's got some quality wins too. Like I said, he beat Sasso. He's got some other top, you know, um, top victories under his belt. So he can do some damage. Um, and and on the flip side of that, I mean, like I said, I was excited about everything. And, and one person that kind of it was it is what it is. But you know, I was excited for Connor Brady to see what he was going to do this year. And, and he had some he had some very tough matches and it was a string of matches especially early on in in ACC play where he you know he lost to NC State and then he lost to Pitt and I mean they were close tough tight matches and so it's just like disappointing because he's got that he's got that factor to where he can really turn it on and do something I mean he was I want to say he was um, you know the number nine overall ranked recruit in the nation when he came in um, and he was number two or three in his weight class. So it's just like, all right, when are we going to turn it on? Let's go. Let's see this. And so I was a little disappointed, but you know what? ACC tournament showed up and he, you know, he revenged. He got a revenge win and he beat uh, Pitt, Heller, or um, Holden. And then he got, he got in there and he went for the championship. So, and, and he came, almost came out uh, victorious in the, in the finals too. So. So he definitely redeemed himself in my eyes on that. So it, it was just, again, like I was talking about earlier, it's ebbs and flow. So you might have a lull and, and be down, but there's no, if you peak at the right time, that everybody forgets about that. Yep. Um, and, and that's good to hear, you know, kind of talking about the, the highs and lows on that front. But let's talk about this. What, in your opinion, has been the absolute highlight from a team perspective looking back on the season to this point? <laughs> Well, if you follow wrestling for tech, you know, you know, our, our biggest rivals NC State. So the fact that they have a one beside their record, and that's the only loss that they have all year is uh, you know, when we took them out. That's definitely the highest, the high right now. Hopefully, in a week and a half, or at the end of the week, you know, hopefully we can uh, you know, have another little high and actually see if we can bring home some hardware being a top four. Uh, it's definitely a potential but they definitely got to have a good a good tournament kind of uh reminiscent how 2016 was and in order to get that hardware um but yeah that that's the high that i have and, and you know beating nc state is always good and it's always nice to you know prevent them from having an undefeated season yep and that that win effectively split the regular season championship between the Hokies and the Wolfpack, and also that was the night i think me as a rest as a hokey fan in watching wrestling that was a night that took it big 5900 people in castle that place was rocking and it was the local kid andy smith that got that point where they knew they cannot they may tie us but they cannot win they cannot win this they cannot win this duel. You have to tell me what the definitions there. I text him all the time, by the way, during the matches. So why did this happen? Are we going to be able to win? Because the pit, I missed, <laughs> seriously, the pit, I missed like the first three matches. I text him. He's like, we can't win anything. I'm like, it's only three matches in. And yeah, I told him, yeah, because I was talking to him about, you know, the rankings of who was who was yeah. expected to win. Um, and the, that NC State match was a roller coaster ride in itself. You know, we had an upset. You know, we got upset. Um, you know, Bolin almost upset the number two guy in the nation. Had him down three, you know, he was up 3 0 uh, and ended up losing it at the end. But, uh, and then that's why I was like, okay, since Bolin couldn't take that out, and that was again where I was talking about how, you know, Connor Brady had 
kind of was a little disappointment because he was ranked higher and projected. It was a coin flip, but he was ranked higher than his opponent and he ended up losing that. And that's why I was like, okay, this is really going to be come down to, we're going to need a, we're going to need one of these three guys at the end, you know, whether it was Bolin or Smith or, you know, or Katka winning and getting an upset. Um, So then Bolin was coming out there and I was like, okay, he might get it. And then he ended up losing it in overtime. We lost four overtime matches in that, in that uh, dual meet. Uh, So we're right there with them. Um, And the fact that, you know, we got that from Andy Smith, that was perfect. And it was definitely exciting and and he earned it and he he did a great, did a great job. Um, So, I mean, that was definitely the high point for sure. Awesome. All right. So in the ACC tournament last weekend, Tech finishes second behind NC State. They get two individual titles. How important is the conference championships in wrestling the grand scheme of things um, as compared to the regular season? You're talking about individual or overall team? Uh, give me both because I feel like isn't that where Makai got hurt last year and effectively kind of he may have missed a chance to win another national title? Uh, he got hurt it was a couple years ago, where uh, and I think it was in the dual meet right going in okay. before that. Okay. Um, and he got hurt wrestling. I think it was against Pitt. Um, and he got hurt there, but then he ended up wrestling and then he actually just medical forfeit so he could save himself. But okay, gotcha. it is important because especially this year with the seating, they, okay. it's a weighted, um, the way that they do seating, it's, you never know what's going to happen, who, they, whether they're going to weigh, um, you know, whether it's actual winning percentage or the RPI of who you beat. Um, you know, so this year it looks like based off these seatings that, you know, conference champions, got a bump in the uh, rankings and in their uh, scenes for the year. Um, so, cause there's definitely some people that, you know, have one loss, but they might be seated, uh, you know, eighth, ninth or 10th because they didn't win their conference championship. Um, and then there's another, you know, so the winning the individual you know, weight class definitely is helpful um, for seating for NCC NCAA tournament. And, um, so, and that pays, and you know, that shows you because, you know, Caleb Henson is ranked across the board, like seventh or eighth, you know, amongst, uh, you know, the coaches and, and across Intermat and flow, uh, flow wrestling and, and end up with the four seed. Yeah. Um, so it was that conference championship. So, and I think he definitely deserves that, but uh, I mean, we'll see how it all plays out, but, you know, winning that championship for individual is good and winning it as a team is definitely you know bragging rights it's uh you know especially with there's only six teams in the acc mm-hmm. definitely want to have that um you want to have that uh you know that, that bragging rights and nc state unfortunately has that right now but you know, there's definitely things in the works and with the recruiting that's going on at tech the guys that they have coming in they can definitely you know, take that up and, and be able to do some things with that uh, and flip that script. Yeah, so we had a good showing at the at the ACCs. Um, you know, and the program over the last decade has really kind of been building itself into a top 10 power. Um, this week and kind of another first um, with 10 wrestlers qualifying for nationals. How big of a deal is it having uh, 10 wrestlers make it to nationals? It's a huge deal. Um, I mean, we're one of four teams in the country that can say that um and and one of those teams is, is not nc state and one of them is not penn state so that's one thing we got up on both of those 
Um, and it allows you to score more team points because that's what you need. You need guys to, to score points in order to win and get into the trophy talk. Uh, top four, you get placements as far as uh, the team team titles. Um, and that's what we got. We got fourth back in 2016. And funny thing is we beat Iowa by one point back in 2016. So that was kind of nice, and uh, especially after that whole Tom Brands thing. And uh, so it was enjoyable for that to happen. Um, but yeah, so I mean, having more bodies there and more capabilities to you know pull off pull off an upset or to run have a deep run in the tournament, some surprise, um, some surprising matches that might happen. It always happens. You'll have you know you, you know in in basketball you'll get the five twelve upset. You know there's always one out of the four. You know you're definitely going to get some upsets. Um, and the good thing about wrestling is if you lose once, you can still run it back. You can come back and get third. You know, um, actually talking about our 16 team, you know, um, our 174, he was ranked, I think, eighth. He lost the first round and he came back and he won seven straight matches and he got bonus points. And so he scored a lot of points for us to help us out. And uh, and he was able to you know be a, a part of the team to, to get that uh, mm-hmm. to get that trophy. So it was nice. And, and so you can battle back. So just because you lose once, you're not done. You keep going. Nice. I think also, too, you, in the way you mentioned the points and everything, in my head says if you have 10 guys, it's easier to get a chance to win a national title. Where if you're with eight, everybody's got to win. Everybody's got to go deep. So for our 10 wrestlers who have made it, you know, Hunter Katka, Annie Smith, Hunter Bolin, Makai Lewis, Connor Brady, Bryce Adani, Caleb Henson, Tom Crook, Sam Latona, Eddie Ventresca. And, yes, it is very tough to say Ventresca. Let's just go with Eddie. Right. We're going to give you four categories. And I want you to put each guy or multiple guys in them about where you think they're going to land. And I'm going to leave with the first one here. Who are you just glad that they got to the national championship stage? Well, Eddie being one of them, especially for the year that he was having uh, up and down. He had some good good matches. Then you know Cooper Cooper coming in there and and taking over for a, a match against Pitt, and then him getting the getting the starting position back. So it's uh, for him to be there is definitely a good thing. Um, it's got to be a good psyche. Redshirt freshman, so he's got three years left, um, something to build upon. So it's definitely good for him. He's got a, a tough draw, um, and, and you know where he's at. You know, he's he's going to wrestle a kid from uh, Missouri, first round. He lost six four during the end of the year or the beginning of the year. So I mean, he could he could flip that. You never know. So like I said, and he's a, uh, you know, or excuse me, he's wrestling the, I think actually Northern Colorado. Sorry about that, but uh, yeah. So I mean, Eddie can can flip the script and and actually you know get a couple wins now. To become all American definitely will be a little bit tough uh, for him. Um, yeah, but like I said, he's got three years. He can build upon this. All the grades have done it. And Latona's done it. And, uh, you know, Andonian's done it. So all the guys, have, you, you got to get there first. And then whatever happens, happens. If you have a good weekend and you show, you get a medal around your, your neck, that's perfect. Um, but first you got to get there and, and having all 10 guys there is perfect. Um, now these, I got three more guys in this category. All right. Cool. Um, but, uh, and I'll preface this is that 
Yeah, Connor Brady, like I was talking about before. Yeah, he's he should be happy that he's there, but he's also should be having a drive because he's got the the quality to get there to be a, an All American. He could get there. Same thing for Andy Smith. He's he's very good, very solid, good defense. Yeah, obviously he, he got to pulled out the win against NC State. Um, so he he too has that quality to be able to to get over the hump, win a couple matches in a row, get into the blood rounds, be able to you know, get into that All-American fight. And we'll see what happens with him. Um, and then Hunter Kaka, he's got the pedigree to be able to do the same thing. But, you know, it's tough this time of year, and you're getting all the best in, in all the nation. You know, Division One wrestling is – it's intense, um, and it's crazy. Um, and that's why I stuck to Division Two wrestling. So <laughs> – because uh, I definitely wouldn't have made it in Division One, but uh, but it doesn't mean that I don't love the sport as much, and I and I really enjoy watching these guys battle, and uh, I feel for them and root for them hardcore. So those are the four guys that I have in that category. All right, Siegla, category two. All right, category two. These are guys that have the the potential to kind of take the step to get to that all American level. Who do you got in that category? And that's why I say I, I was close to putting those last three there with Brady and Smith and Kaka because they can get there, but I was looking at their draw and, and it's going to be, they're going to have to have a good, good weekend. Um, they can do it. They have the, the capability and, the, and, and they have the skill to do so. And I'm pulling for them because I want them to do so, but uh, it, it's definitely a higher, uh, a higher mountain to climb for them. Uh, the person that I have in here for potential All-American is one of the freshman phenoms, Tom Crook. So uh, he's, okay. he's a 15 seed. So, you know, you get to the top 12 is blood rounds, basically, and, and you got to get in top eight. So he can definitely take out some people. He's got some big wins this year. Uh, he's able to – he's been able to take out a couple guys – uh, that have been ranked higher than him. And then even the close matches that he's lost um, against higher ranked guys. And then uh, he, he can do it. He can turn it around. Uh, I just want to see him attack and be able to get to his, his offense. And because sometimes when he's lost, it's been like, okay, he, he seems like he's on his back foot, just waiting for it to happen. But when he's, when he's attacking, he can do it. And I mean, the fact that uh, he's a true freshman and he, he's in the NCAA tournament is great. And there's 10 true freshmen that are in the tournament of 330. My God. There's 10 true freshmen, and Tech has two of them. That's big. That's elite, man. That's elite. By the way, shocked. We So we're, we're two things in, and you've only got half the guys. So the next category is who is All-American or bust? Well, I mean, I think I'm hoping they're All-Americans because I don't yeah. want them to be busts. No, we don't either. But we got Sam Latona. Uh, you know, 133 is definitely, you know, he's, he's shown he can beat and wrestle with the big guys. He's had a couple losses where you're like head scratching. Um, and then he's had some close losses too. So, you know, especially with NC State, Arini, you know, he lost on the last 10 seconds, you know, in the semifinals of ACC. But he came back, got third, you know, wrestled strong, did what he needed to do to get to nationals. So I think he'll be okay on that. Um, Hunter Bowen. You know, redshirt senior seems like he's been there six years, seven years almost. Uh, you know, it's his final ride, um, and he's been an All-American before. 
last year he didn't he didn't get it and he i think he went one and two last year um so he's kind of a disappointment on that piece so i'm sure in his mind he's ready to to let loose get back on the, that podium um so i, I think he's definitely going to do it or else he'll he'll probably feel a little bit bad if he his last year he doesn't get that taken care of um then these next two we're close to the next spot but i don't think they're there yet um you know, Caleb Henson, that freshman that I was talking about, you know, 149. He's just, he's, he's special. He's going to be enjoyable to watch over the next three, you know, three additional years. Yeah. And he's the four seed. He can, if, if things go as seed, as chalk, is he can make it and, and he'll go up against a three time national champion and, and Yanni, who, who he lost to six to two this year. So it was a close match. Um, so you never know. Like I said, it just one, takes one match. And, and Yanni lost this year too. So, um, so there's a potential, you know, that he, he he is beatable. So you never know. And that would potentially be in the semifinals of when he would meet him. Um, so that's exciting to watch, and we'll see how far he goes. And like I said, he's got three more years after that. And then my last All-American or bust would be uh, Bryce Andonian. Um, you don't know what you're going to get with him, but you're going to get excitement. That's for sure. Um, I mean, he made a great run last year being the 11 seed and he made it all the way to, you know, the three, you know, he got third place. So, so he won six matches last year. So uh, he, he definitely, he earned it last year. He had a good weekend and hopefully he does the same thing this, this year. He's got a, he's got a good um, spot. I mean, he, in this quarterfinal, he would be up against a freshman, from Penn State, Levi Haynes, who just won the Big Ten. That, that would be a task, but, you know, he can use his seniority and kind of know, um, you know, using his junior, you know, national skills uh, to be able to, you know, take out Levi Haynes. So that's what I'm pulling for, and we'll see if he gets there and, and, and gets to the semis and and, and, they, and see, you know, if he can get to the finals. Um, right. Go ahead. Before Brian jumps in with the last question, of the four in the All-American or bus category, who's the one you think could win the national title? Ain't surprised. Um, I mean, I think it's Andonian could. Okay. He definitely could. Okay. Um, yeah, and like I said, I like his his draw. I, I think he can he can take it to the guys that he that's in his side of the bracket. And then if it if it, the top seed remains as Austin O'Connor, who he lost to in the ACC championship. And that would be sweet to go to the national championship, face the guy that you lost to. Unfortunately, he's lost to him six times. Oh, God. Nah. Uh, and he's lost Lucky to number him. seven. Yeah, exactly. But it's been <laughs> close the past. Hey, this last one was close. And and their styles just kind of are different. And so it's – and O'Connor is a national champion, so it's it's not like he's a scrub by any means. So – um, I think he could get to him, and that would be sweet to take him on and get that one win on the national stage yeah, if he can get there and, and do that. So he's got the capability to do it, especially with that run that he had last year. He can definitely do it again because uh, he was one point away from being in the national championship last year. Yeah. Uh, so so we'll see and how that goes. Bryce, it's always exciting. Like you're always going to get some fireworks. So. It, it is. It is. You're like, how does he get on top from being where he was just at? You know, he'll roll through a lot. Um, he likes to, you know, to get the body locks and throw. Um, 
he's just comfortable in that position. And it's, it's almost like he's inviting people to go into positions that he knows he can take advantage of. And that's something that like he, he'll, he'll reach back and throw people. He'll, you know, leave his head down on the map to try to be like, okay, go ahead and throw this half in. So you can try to, you know, put me on my back, but I'm just going to roll through and put you on your back. I mean, it is, <laughs> it's crazy. Just seriously, just watching him wrestle. It's entertaining for sure. Um, and it's head scratching too. Cause you're like, how are you doing that? But then when he ends up, Flipping the script on the guy, you're like, okay, yeah, he's okay, okay. Trust what he's doing. I know, right? <laughs> so the last category, and by process of elimination, we're looking at, at one guy fitting in here. But uh, who is the legit national champion contender on this team? Well, you got to go with the the champ, Makai um, Lewis. I mean, I know he was a champion in 2019, and then he, you know, he took an Olympic year, and then it was the COVID year. Um, and then he got hurt and then, you know, up until last year's final, he was undefeated in the national tournament. 19 he ran, he was undefeated because he won the, the, the nationals. And then the next year when they had it in 21, he was hurt, but he wrestled two matches. He won two matches, got to the quarterfinal, and then he medically forfeited out. So so those weren't technically losses on him. He just had to withdraw from the tournament. And then last year, he made it to the finals. And he was seconds away from being a national championship again, a national champion again, because they took it to the double overtime rideouts. And so, and that's against Carter Starucci for uh, Penn State, who is now a two-time national championship. He's the number one seed in the, in the um, weight class. But Makai is down below. Uh, so he wouldn't meet him until, you know, the finals potentially. Mm-hmm. And Makai can take out Mikey uh, Labriola, who's in the number two seed. Um, and he lost him this year, uh, in, and it was in sudden victory, so it was an overtime. And it was a scramble. So Makai was actually looking like he was going to get him, and then he you know, went off the mat, so they had to stop, and they restarted it. Makai got back in again, and then Labriola just scrambled and ended up on top. So. It was a it was a close close loss, but I think Makai could definitely you know flip that and take the win this time and and even in the championship we'll see how it, it pans out. If it, I, I kind of think that's how it's going to go, um, but we'll see. We'll see. I'm excited and kind of one more thing about uh, you know having all ten weight classes, you got more eyes on you, you know visibility of the program. Yeah, um, yeah. and it's reflecting. I mean, in recruiting. I'm looking at who they've signed for 20 or who they're getting for 2023 out of the top 200 in the nation. They have six guys, you know, they got the number nine. So he's like the number two or three heavyweight. He's coming in. He's a guy's Jim Jim Mullen. Jimmy Mullen. Yeah. Jimmy Mullen. Yeah. So, so, you know, that guy. Yes, we do. Uh, Oh yeah. And then, and then Sammy Sasso's brother, he's coming and he's uh He's going to be either 197, maybe heavyweight as well. So, I mean, they're going to have some good guys. He's the number 30 recruit in the nation, probably top 10 in his weight class. Um, then we got a Virginia boy, um, Rafael Hippolito. You know, he's from up in Ashburn, and he's number 88 in the league. Um, and then we got two boys that are in the 141, 149 um, that are coming in there, number 45 and 46 in the nation, you know. Mac Church and Hunter Mason, 
Um, and then we got another one that's ranked. In, I mean, so it's just showing you that we're, we're getting top ranked guys. It's not just all people going to Penn State, Iowa, Iowa State. You know, we're definitely, you know, we're taking some guys away and they're they're going to be solid. It's gonna, the room to wrestle in is going to be great because, I mean, typically, you know, I think the only people that we're really losing this year are Hunter Bolin because he's a redshirt senior. He's all out. Makai Lewis, yep. unless he wants to come back, he has one more year of eligibility. But I mean, he's been in college for a while, so he might be ready to, you know, to move on and, and do things at, on, the, on the national team level. So we don't know. Um, and then even Bryce Andonian, he has one more year of eligibility. He's a senior, but I don't know if he's going to come back or not. So, okay. which he might because you know he's lost four straight ACC titles, so he, <laughs> and and O'Connor will be gone. So there you go. It opens it up for him because he's all he might see a window and be like, all right, yeah. I can come back and get one here. I might exactly. get one. So you don't know. And, and even if they're not coming back, we're going to have some solid guys coming in, filling those spots. And, and I mean, even with the guys already in the room, too, I mean, it, it's just definitely it's something enjoyable. And, and I'll always say this, and I keep thinking, you know, this is what's going to happen. This is going to be the sport. I think that tech will get there if we want to get a national championship. As a team, I think the wrestling team is the one that's going to have to provide it because hopefully football will get there again. But uh, <laughs> you know, I, I like the wrestling team's odds right now more so than the football. But you know, they got to grow too. So got it. Yeah. Well, listen, Fuke man, we really appreciate you coming on tonight, going through this. I mean, for anybody that watches this and will be watching the national finals, you gave an unbelievable breakdown. Mm-hmm. Save some time on your calendar in the fall. When we get close to wrestling season, Brian, he's coming back, ain't he? Book you will come on and give us a wrestling preview. Uh, we'll give you some weeks in advance. Luckily, it won't be tax season, so you won't be <laughs> yeah. having to be in your office at 9 o'clock at night. But, brother, yeah. good seeing you as always. Hopefully, you can catch yeah. up sometime here in the RBA. You have a good evening, all right? All right, you too. Appreciate it. Appreciate it, man. Go Hokies. Go Hokies. Go Hokies. A heck of an interview there. We are going to take a quick pause from our digital partners before we get into all the recruiting talk tonight. As we take a quick break, we'd like to tell you about getting your free website report from our digital partner, Grassroots Digital Marketing Studio. They'll tell you how your website ranks on Google, on-site SEO, and social media. No commitment to buy anything. You can get your free report by visiting grassrootsdigitalstudio.com forward slash free dash website dash report. Now back to the episode. All righty. Brian, without further ado, bring him in. The man, the myth, the legend, Matei Sis, VT Scoop. How you doing tonight, man? I'm doing well. Can you guys hear me okay? Is the mic set up well? Yeah. Yeah, we got you. We got you. I was struggling a little bit backstage, but hopefully it's coming out all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is the first time uh, entering the green room while we're we're midstream there, so a little uh, little, little, little uh, adjustments here in real time. But I appreciate that. Yeah, you sound good on this end. Yeah, you sound awesome. good, man. Um, we hope you were taking some notes during the wrestling lesson there. Um, clearly, that starts in a couple of days. Clearly, we got a good shot at that. And before we get into the recruit talk, let's talk about this because you are a BT alumni. You got the wrestling team, big showing up in up in Tulsa this week. 
Let's talk about the women's team, though. Win the ACC championship. And not only win it, I, I think everybody watched some of those games. They beat everybody's ass in those three games. It wasn't like it was competitive games. They yep. dominated. And now they're a number one seed. They're going to be having games in Castle this weekend, which is unbelievable. Um, and, you know, looking at the bracket, you know, our buddy Shelton has been saying it, Elite Eight, Elite Eight. That looks legit. And if they go to the Final Four, they're beating UConn. How does that make you feel as an alum to, you know, to have that happen to your school? I mean, it's awesome. Like, anytime you're talking about the big dance, and especially, like, Virginia Tech with the number one seed next to their team, like, that's incredible. It's, like, something you don't think about. Like, you know, when it comes to men's basketball, you're hoping just to make the tournament. And then you're talking about the women's team absolutely, like, it's just domination. Like, the game against Duke was just, you know, from start to finish, they did everything better. And it looks like, like not just making the dance, but having legitimate hope to go very far. And, like, I would absolutely love to see, like, this Virginia Tech team face off against UConn. Like, that would be unbelievable. Like, the storied program of UConn women's basketball versus the risers in Virginia Tech. Like, that's that's storybook stuff. Yeah, I mean, that that's a game that can kind of put you in that big-time national conversation because, really, women's hoops is kind of usually dominated by – you know, two or three teams every year. If if this is the year where Virginia Tech takes that step, that could be huge, especially downstream as you talk about recruiting in a few years where you're getting the consistent and caliber players that the South Carolinas are getting every year now. If You know, we're, we're probably like one step away from that. And this could be, you know, that kind of cycle that, that puts us on the national stage that kind of helps us take that step. 100%. Yeah, I- I was looking at the bracket, like I was a little surprised at how tough that is. Like Ohio State is in there, North Carolina. Like there are some tough teams, but you know, luckily, if they make it all the way, you know, South Carolina is a wagon. Uh, they're on the other side, so at least they get to avoid them. But yeah, the the number one seed is huge, and obviously, like legitimizes the program, like puts them in that upper echelon. Um, you know, we've been waiting for this for a little bit, and it's awesome to see that, you know, it's coming to fruition. Absolutely. All right, so that's fun stuff to talk about. There's one thing that somebody on this program needs to address with you before we go further, Tally. Tay, how you doing tonight, man? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Hey, you need mm-hmm. to give me a refollow on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> I've been following you for years. I've been following you on 247. I need that re I need the refollow, buddy. By the end of the night, it's coming. There you go. You the man. He, he said the reason he joined the podcast was to get Matei to refollow. And that That's was it. it. That's, the only reason he joined. That's it. That's the only reason. <laughs> he, you know, you're a constant guest. He, he he saw a rundown of what was who was coming on in the spring. He's like, all right, I gotta join now. Matei right. coming on. I gotta I gotta get this out there. I gotta get the follow. Gotta get it, I man. To, I have to be honest too, like. Whenever I go to my feed, like I always see Tally on there. I'm thinking like I'm, I'm stalking you. You I'm might as well be following him, right? You see him everywhere. They see him everywhere. All right. Well, gentlemen, let's get into football talk because there is a ton of news and there are a ton of things we want to ask Matei. But yesterday the news broke and it was announced, and today it was kind of discussed at the pressers. 
two new coaches hired. Let's start with the first. Elijah Brooks, the new running back coach. Elijah Brooks is coming from the Maryland program where he had been since 2018, producing, you know, some really good running backs to the NFL. Anthony McFarland, Javon Leak, Jake Funk, Tavion Fleet Davis. So right there, four years, four different backs. The bigger part with him, he was an eight-year coach at DeMatha. <coughs> Anybody in the country knows DeMatha is a stud football program. And while he was there for eight years, he had their best eight-year stretch. Mm. That's saying a lot about that program. So, you know, William & Mary graduate played down there. William & Mary, if a guy plays football down there and comes out coaching, that, by that, the way, that, him, that Jimmy Laycock co coaching tree is right. stud. Joke, man. So, Matei, it's awesome you're on here because give us some recruiting insight about – um. You know, who he's recruited, where do you think he'll be recruiting um, with Tech? Yeah, I mean, it is a little awkward noting that Ramon Brown, <laughs> uh, Virginia Tech was in on. Uh, he's the main reason he went to Maryland. Um, but, you know, in all seriousness, he's a guy that has ties all over Maryland, like very well respected. Uh, coach Pry was talking about him and saying how they were eyeing him for a positional coach while they're at Penn State, like this hire is not just about his coaching pedigree, but really about securing the state of Maryland. And, you know, working in tandem with Bowen, Pry has a ton of connections there from his time at Penn State as well. Um, you know, he's going to be all over the state and it's not, you know, it is about him going to those high schools and where he does, you know, have that great reputation, but it's also bringing these other guys on staff with him, like Bowen, like Pry, into the high schools and meeting these guys. So, you know, it's huge for Maryland, especially when you look at how much talent comes out every single cycle. Uh, it, it's just huge in terms of recruiting. Um, yeah, the uh, the Washington Catholic Athletic Conference is just stacked <laughs> with talent uh, every year. And it's not just a math. I mean, it's across the board. And obviously a guy like him that has the respect – um, not only of, you know, that DeMatha program, but all those programs from having coached there for years, having recruited for the last four years of Maryland. Uh, this is just, to me, better hire than I anticipated, especially, you know, when we were at, early on in the process, we were like, all right, we're, we're probably going to be hiring a running back coach. There's going to be some shuffling. Who's it going to be? I, I think we probably came out a little bit better than we thought we would with a, with a guy like Elijah Brooks. What do you think about him, Tally? Oh, yeah, I think it was, uh, you know, it was a surprise to me. I didn't know uh, that he was even kind of on our radar, but um, it's definitely a, a, a welcome, welcome surprise because as uh, Mateus said, like he's, he's got a great background from um, the athletics up there and, you know, Maryland, as much as they're a thorn on our side, they're a program that's, you know, on the rise a little bit. And if we can get something to kind of, you know, as we seen, we played them a couple of years ago and, we seen the outcome of that for whatever reason, but you know if we can steal some steal some stuff out of their plates, like I'm 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 all for that. Uh, we had Fontel on a couple of weeks ago, and he talked about the relationships in recruiting and how sometimes you have to, you know, get two two three people before you get to the kid or you get to the coach. You know, somebody like a Brooks would know that lineage to go through. So I, I was I was excited about it. 
Yep. I, I think we all are excited about that because that was a name we hadn't seen. And then you start looking up, you know, was it Nick Cross, Ramon Brown? He's recruited some pretty high profile guys um, in his time at Maryland, in a short time at Maryland. So, um, you know, I, I think that's, I think it speaks for itself. And I think, you know, we'll, we'll talk about some of the shifting in a minute here, but I think for the most part, Tally, you made a point today that in, in, you looking at it and being realist, right? Oh yeah, you gotta. I mean, you can, you gotta send people to recruit what they like. They gotta be comfortable. You know, Elijah Brooks is gonna be. I mean, he's gonna be recruiting running backs. Most of the running backs that he's gonna be recruiting to Virginia Tech, what do they look like? They're gonna look like him. I'd much rather send him than Stu Holtz to get me a running back. Stu, go get a tight end, a big white boy. That's fine. <laughs> Go get him, but Brooks, we need you to go to the. I mean, you got to go into the seven five seven. You got to go into Maryland, and you're gonna have to grab some of these, uh, some of these running backs that we missed. Ramon Brown, he was committed to Virginia Tech for how long, Correct. and then they stole him away. Like, how how many times have we been one player away from two three games? You know, having those having that one playmaker at a pivotal position can change the trajectory of, of of your your football team so i'm excited about it man i think it was a good move um i know we're gonna get into some more of the uh of the the shuffling a little later but i'm 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 pretty stoked for real absolutely i'm with you on that all right let's talk about the second guy a guy who on this program we got notified tally if you remember a couple weeks ago our buddy mm-hmm. put in the name in the chat mm-hmm. of ron crook and Ron Crick is the new offensive line coach at Virginia Tech. Last year, he spent a season at South Dakota. Smaller program, obviously. But if you look at his tenure, really in the last decade, he was out at Stanford. Mm-hmm. Then he went to West Virginia. Mm-hmm. And then he was at Cincinnati when Cincinnati went to the playoff. Matei, I know offensive line is the toughest position for y'all. It's any recruiting service, anybody trying to look at it. But where do you see – Ron Crook, where do you think he's going to be recruiting? And is there anybody out there he's coached or recruited that has caught your eye? Yeah, so he's mainly going to be out in like Ohio, Southwest Virginia. Obviously, West Virginia has a lot of contacts there. Um, But surprisingly, like Virginia Tech is really hitting Ohio hard. Uh, This upcoming week, next week, there's I think like 25% of the visitor list is from Ohio. So, so he's already out there recruiting. Uh, he's already hit up a guy like DJ Tolliver, four-star offensive lineman uh, in Virginia, top 10 guy. Uh, you know, he's already, you know, hit the ground running. Uh, it's interesting because, you know, like you guys probably heard a couple weeks ago, he was always number one in terms of the offensive line fit. And, uh, you know, Brent Pry has a lot of ties to West Virginia and contacted a bunch of people, got like raving reviews about him. Obviously, you talk about Stanford and their lineage of offensive linemen, like most of them go into the NFL, West Virginia, obviously recruits at a similar level as Virginia Tech. But, you know, they fight over a lot of, you know, the same prospects. Um, And then obviously at Cincinnati, building up that line, which I think is really important for Virginia Tech right now. You have a ton of young guys in the program being able to develop them like we didn't see that a lot last year. And as good as Joe Rudolph is and, you know, as much as people rave about him, you really need a guy to bring in the young guys, build them up and get them ready 
Uh, obviously, it's tough coming in uh, with spring ball, you know, about to kick off. Um, so we'll see how like the scheme adjustments and all that change out. But if you're going to bring in anyone to coach up the offensive line, you want a guy with a ton of experience. So I think it's an all around great hire. Yeah, I, 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 when I saw it, I was like, yeah, this this is this is a really good hire. It's a good fit. Um, it's a guy that has he's coached in zone schemes. He's coached in some, some power schemes out there in Stanford and so, some of that split uh, RPO type stuff that was those run at uh, at Cincinnati with Ritter there. So, you know, I think there's a, a lot of upside to what he brings from a scheme standpoint, especially knowing what we're trying to move towards. Uh, and Tyler Bowen was talking about it today in the press conference, you know, moving towards more, um, you know, vertical running game to kind of set up those RPOs and get tempo going and things like that. And I think some of that was what we wanted to do last year, but I think this is more of an emphasis this year, uh, especially now that we've got the personnel to run it uh, in, in a little bit more of effective way. And I think Crook's going to do a good job of kind of, you know, filtering that down to the offensive line and, making them more effective um, snap to snap. Uh, and that, that's the big thing. And if we get more effective, especially on first down, that's going to make their job a whole lot easier on second and third because you're going to put the defense in a conflict. I mean, you know, I agree <clears throat> I agree with, you know, what Siegel is saying there. Um, I came up for a game, well, I think it was the, the Duke game a couple of years ago. Um, I had to stay um, in Princeton, West Virginia, which was fucking crazy. <laughs> uh, being a 6'2", 350-pound black man in Princeton, West Virginia is nuts. And I'm from Alabama, so I'm used to some redneck podunk shit, but it was nuts there. You know? Different, different level, Walmart, right? Different level. <laughs> man, I walked in Walmart. I was like, this is definitely where they, they filmed wrong turn. <laughs> it was fucking crazy. But, I mean, shit. You got Ron Crook. He's from that area. You know, I ain't saying he's from Princeton, but the 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 West Virginia area, he's familiar with it. I think our best lineman last year came from West Virginia, one of our high-profile players. Like, I never understood to going to Germany to get a fucking offensive lineman. You're in Virginia. Open the back door. There are some big-ass boys out there that's pushing tractors and pulling tires and tell them to come play football. I mean, you got Crook out here wearing his hat backwards in the snow and rain with shorts on. That's an offensive line coach, man. That's my kind of dude right there. That's, That's my kind of dude. Like, I wasn't a big Vice fan. You know what I'm saying? Just because, you know, whatever. He's gone. Ran a couple of people off I thought could have stayed. But whatever the case is, he he had them. He, he, he brought a certain nastiness to practice and to the, to the line. That me as a you know tight end offensive lineman like to see you know if you're gonna get a penalty I want you to get a penalty gouging somebody's eyes yeah I don't want you to get a pre snap penalty <laughs> stomp on somebody's nuts when they're on the ground whatever the case may be I like that let's go man like I think it's a good hire you know I got a lot of people that's been on Twitter talking about the hires and blah, blah, blah. I know we're going to get into it a little bit farther. I've been pumped up about this because <laughs> I've been asking questions and I can't get the answers. So. Well, well, here, here's the thing, like, with the with everything, and you probably did the same with the research, kind of similar to what I did. Well, when, when Crook's name came across our board, you, I started doing the research. I started looking up. And I'd be damned. If it, everywhere he's went, the run game has improved. 
West Virginia, when they won 10 back in 16, they were like 13th in the country. And that was out of the Holgerson air raid zone type running scheme. What they did at Cincinnati with them, with Ritter and that RPO split. Brian, you were talking about the split zones with that. Yep. They took that team to a national championship. And they didn't get curb stomped by Alabama. Alabama eventually beat them. But it's not like they went out there and didn't just get beat down. So the man clearly knows how to coach an offensive line, and he's got that mentality. So, you know, I, I feel like if you if you just see the name and it's not a flashy name and he was at South Dakota, dig deeper. Read deeper. You'll 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 start uncovering some good stuff. All right. So boys, obviously, we got a new running backs coach. We lost a quarterback coach. We got a new offensive line coach. It means we still need two coaches filled out. And, you know, the, the tea leaves were coming out over the weekend. Tyler Bowen moving to quarterback coach. Um, Matei, you can probably speak to it best when it comes to recruiting, though. The last two prospects, quarterback-wise, that came through the door, who was their primary recruiter? Yeah, Tyler Bowen and, again – you know, this cycle, you got a guy like Davey Belfort, a guy out of Florida, four-star quarterback. Uh, you know, it's it's really his connection to Bowen. And, you know, Chiron Drones, like when he came, it was because Bowen went there, visited him, took a plane, like convinced him to sign on the night. So he's good with, uh, you know, just bringing in quarterbacks, recruiting, identifying what the offense needs. Tally, I'm gonna let you go because you've been. Oh yeah, no, no, I'm. I, you know, I was ready. So, uh, <laughs> no, I was, I was ready. But, um, looking at, uh, looking at, you know, just kind of how it's transpired, and we gotta call no names. Everybody's on Twitter. If y'all ain't on Twitter, uh, fucking with people, you need to get a life. Uh, <laughs> this is that, that's the fun stuff to do. But you know, I've seen a lot of tweets where people saying, you know, I understand, I was out of our chat probably the most critical of the staff last year before the season started. I said, we have so many new coaches in new places. I'm not expecting much. Everybody says, oh, no, the the, the, the we're going to do good because of this, whatever. So this year, I'm a little bit more optimistic because I've seen some things and we've got some more playmakers. So now we're going to fast forward to what we're doing. Brad Glenn didn't show me nothing. I think our quarterback play was the worst that I've seen since I've been a Tech fan last year. Not saying that's all on the coach. Not saying that's all on the kid or kids. But I'm just saying, from what I seen as a Tech fan last year, that was that was nothing to build on. So I don't feel like the quarterback coach we had brought anybody in. I mean, and he was an experienced coach. Everybody's saying he doesn't have experience in this. He didn't have experience in that. We need playmakers. We need people who can – we need some coaches that can go recruit and get talent. When we brought Gerard in, the Dodos that was coaching him that we figured out we didn't really care about, I don't know how much coaching they did. He just came in and played. Hendon just came in and played. You got to go and get some playmakers. So if Bowen can go and get some playmakers, this isn't a, a see-all, know-all. Like, he's – He's got an opportunity to just get it started, and then we can pivot next year. If we need to go get a quarterback coach that's going to be able to give us a little bit more development, I think we can do that. But for all you 
people on Twitter that's been talking about how laughable it is and horrible it is. I asked a question about three times. Give me some names of some coaches that are the best coach, best quarterback coaches in college football. I don't got no names because people don't know that. They know the player. You talk about the, the coach that coached at Clemson. He was coaching Trevor Lawrence. I could have coached Trevor Lawrence and he would have been good. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not taking nothing from the coaches. I'm just saying people throw stuff out before they give it a chance. So I'm going to calm down a little bit. I'm going <laughs> to let talk. I'm going to pass it back to the panel. Right. Sh- it, shout, it, shout out Thomas Train for thinking I look like Tyler Bowen. So. Yeah, we got Tyler Bowen on here tonight, y'all. Siegel, now you would but, have- no, I will say I will say this, though. So, ain't, ain't no way you confuse this short neck dude for Tyler Bowen. Like I ain't got no, <laughs> ain't no, ain't no way you were that confused. <laughs> but Sigla, you, you got some points on this tally. Basically what tally's saying, and it's kind of going back to what Matei's saying. Matei, you talked about Belfort's a four star. Pop Watson's a four star. Drones is a four star. Tally, you're just saying, I want somebody that can recruit the room. If he can it's sell the vision team. of what he's doing, I want the best player there. Now, Brian, you probably agree with that, but I think you were going a little different direction more schematically when it came to why Bowen's a quarterback coach. Yeah, I'm just looking at it schematically. So the way way I'm seeing it, if you want to hire a quarterback, you want them to be good at probably one of two things. They either need to be excellent at mechanics and technique. They need to be an absolute stud at knowing what a scheme expects of their quarterback, or it needs to be a combination of the two. Bowen checks that second box. So to, to me, that that's good. We also, between what the NCAA rulings are changing and the guys we already got on staff, we got, a, we got Chris out there um, that can assist with some of the more finer points of quarterback mechanics and technique. We also, when we look at positions that get a lot of work in the offseason, outside of the coaching structure the quarterback is the one position that gets third party folks coming in working with them specifically on technique and things of that nature in the offseason so you've got those things that are already building towards that um you know from a technique standpoint tyler bowen knows what the quarterback's supposed to do within the offense i can guarantee that so when, we, when you put those two things together to me that means He'll be effective. Now, obviously, I think some people would want both in that package, right? So yeah. the op- the optimal idea is that if you want to have a quarterback and OC coach, that they are very technical when it comes to the quarterback position and they know schematically how the quarterback works within that structure and then can call the plays. well. That's the optimal. But I think given the situation we were handed this late in the cycle, I'm okay with this. Now, I'm not saying it's not risky. I think there is some risk with moving a guy that has not coached the position into this spot. But, you know, some of the, again, some of the comments thrown out with laughable and, and things like that, like, nah, it's, it's, it's a calculated risk, even though it is a risk. Um, and my other point is that, you know, some people were talking about, well, you know, you should have hired a quarterback's coach. And I was like, well, if, if you hired the quarterback's coach, you probably don't get brooks or crook potentially you know you get you get someone else in those spots and they were like well no you know you can you know you know you fire Stu holt i'm like so you want to so so you're saying it's laughable that we're moving 
the the uh, the OC into the quarterback coach's role, but it's not laughable that you're going to fire someone that in March that you decided in December and January you were rolling with. That, I mean, that's true. I, th- I, th- I mean, if you if you want something that's laughable, it's laughable deciding in December and January he's your guy, but all of a sudden because two guys put promotions, he's not your guy. To me, that says I don't know what I'm doing a lot more than moving your OC into the quarterback coach's role. Well, the other part, I mean, let's just jump right into it. Stu Holtz going back to tight ends, and he's a special team coordinator. So if you fire him, you not only have to fill his position role, you also have to find a special teams coordinator. And well, we have two would, potential on the roster now, so that would be a, you know between Cheetah and and Crook, you've got two that could potentially take that role. But, but you're you, still out. You're still out of position, coach. Yeah, but are you going to ask you know your your cornerbacks coach who has a pretty young room? Hey, go take over special teams, or you're going to ask Crooks to coach all line, offensive offensive line and special teams, uh, like that again. That's more laughable. And now we're moving- Run, running back and tight end are definitely the positions you would prefer having your special teams coordinator role because they are the least demanding. Um, from a position standpoint. Yep. So, right, unless, so, unless unless your head coach has it like we had with Frank. So yeah, well, that's what there's there's only so many to do that. Well, let's talk about Stu Holt in the tight end room. Tally already made his point about Stu Holt probably going into the mountains of North Carolina and mountains of Virginia, finding him some big kids. But Matei, what does his track record with tight end look like as far as recruiting goes? Yeah, I mean, he's when you look at his background, I mean, he's pretty much split between being a running backs coach and a tight ends coach. And I do want to like hit on one more thing just with the staff in general. Like, I think what gets lost in translation a lot and um, is just like putting these coaches in a box where, you know, they have to be, you know, this one positional unit. Like, I think. Like when you listen to the staff talk about, you know, the offensive staff, they're all communicating all the time. They're always um, you, like multiple guys are helping out in certain positions. Like it doesn't fall under one guy to just do everything. Uh, and I was just thinking about this in terms of Bowen and I'll, I'll get to Holt in a little bit. But like Bowen, I was lucky enough to go to the coaching convention in Northern Virginia uh, where I was able to like talk with a bunch of the coaches like really understand like what their vision is uh, and without going too much into depth of that like I was really impressed how technical Christ was in terms of what he expects out of the quarterback different schemes talking with high school coaches in terms of what they're doing and being able to relate to them like how you can change things around and then additionally like Bowen's knowledge of the entire offense also impressed me because you know, you look at last year's offense and you can say, okay, this is a train wreck. Like nothing's working, but looking at it in a different way where, you know, if this one block happens or if this is, you know, the identity we're having here, if this is the type of play we're running, but we can't run it because we don't have the personnel, like those things make a huge difference in terms of the entire outlook of the, you know, the product of it. So um, I think like, again, just people – hyper focus into, you know, this guy didn't do it before he can't do it. But, you know, as an offensive coordinator, he's working with all these guys, he's flowing these ideas around. Um, And then I guess for Holt, um, you know, obviously today he was talking about having Gallo, having Benji, um, Daquan, how excited he was for him. Um, You know, I think he's going to be a good fit and obviously has worked with 
Bowen quite a bit. So I, I think it's an easy transition. Uh, I don't know how much you can expect out of the tight end room to change, um, but I'm excited nonetheless. Well, he smirked when he talked about Daquan, right? He smirked. Like maybe that was the most athletic tight end he's ever had. Um, Tally, t- tell me about this, though. I want to go back to the special teams part because as we were, me and Tally, Brian chatted today. Tally, you play tight end. How many special teams units did you play on? Well, as a tight end, I played on a lot of our special teams units. The running backs, <laughs> the running backs are like, they're not going to play on me unless they're returning the ball. You know, kickoff, you may have a running back back there. Tight end, you're going to be a up guy that's going to be a, a wedge stopper. I mean, uh, stopping a wedge buster. So a lot of the tight ends are probably going to be involved in those special teams. So um, <laughs> I think that helps. But also, you know, like Brian touched on a little earlier, I mean, you do bring a guy in like Crook that's got a lot of experience. And guess what? He's he's coached uh, special teams as well. So it's kind of all hands on deck. You know what I'm saying? I feel like the coaches know what situation we're in. They know that we can't afford to have another year like last year if this program wants to move up. Um, so I don't think that they're relaxed. You know, I think that they have some intensity, and I think that we're gonna we're gonna watch it. And uh, I think some people are gonna be uh, um, be surprised. I think we're gonna have a good year. When I say good year, uh, I don't want to give predictions yet, but I 100% say it. Last year, we will not make a bowl game. It's going to be it's going to be a struggle. This year, I'm a little different. Like I feel like this, we got to get to a bowl game, and I feel like we'll get there. So um, I'm gonna be watching. I'm gonna be at the spring game. I'm gonna be looking for my boy Matei, seeing how he seeing him out there with the ladies. Hope he ain't married. (laughs) Siegel, you say you got one more thing you want to hit on this before we move on. Yeah. So my last point is just looking back at the offense last year and kind of what's going on with Bowen and everything on that side of the ball. To me, when I looked at some of the parts of last year, it it looked a little bit square peg, round hole sometimes, and it looked a little bit too many cooks in the kitchen. And I know that, you know, a guy like Brad Glenn and a guy like Joe Rudolph were brought in as kind of somewhat backstops for a first-time Power 5 OC in Tyler Bowen. But I feel like it, at some points in the season, it was a little bit too much of a lot of ideas that were out there, but not necessarily a cohesive plan from top to bottom, from you know kickoff to the final whistle. I think with having Bowen moving into the quarterback role and also having what looks like a, a full control over what this offense is going to look like top to bottom, and it's going to be shaped in his vision through this whole process. I think that's going to give us a better idea of what this offense is capable of. And it'll help us, I think, evaluate, you know, what these coaches are capable of this year a lot better, especially now that we've got some talent to go in that um, on that side of the ball as well, where we can really kind of say, okay, well, this is what's working. And this is what's not, we know we have the talent now to execute these things. So if, if things aren't happening, we can at least know what we're working with a little bit better than, than last year, where there were times where sometimes it's like the product was so bad. I couldn't 
could really evaluate, all right, is this is this a, a player issue? Is this a coach issue? Is this a scheme issue? Sometimes it was just so ugly it was hard to to really differentiate. Absolutely. Good points, guys. Good points, everybody, on all this stuff. But let's get into it. Let's talk about the 2024 cycle here. That's why we brought Matei on. Um, Matei, thank you for all the insights from going to the convention last week in Northern Virginia, your insights on some of the guys they've recruited. That's really helpful getting to where we are now. But let's start with this one out the gate. I had a look at the top 20 today. First of all, y'all changed it from last week. I did some <laughs> updates because my numbers changed. So top 20 looks as follows. We got six in the greater RVA. We got five from the 757, five from Nova, two from the Eastern Shore. Um, both those guys top 10 with y'all, two from Southwest Virginia. So there is talent all throughout the state this year in the top 20. You can go to any region, you can find a highly rated guy. With that being said, with this staff's effort in that statewide assault from the second they laid feet on the ground last December, you think it's going to take pay off with uh, this type of spread this year? I do think so. And I think they've done, like, obviously we can go back to the last regime under Fuente and say, like, you know, they were visiting high schools maybe once every couple months. Like, these guys are persistent when it comes to – keeping in contact, making those inroads. Like I talked about the coaching convention and I was talking to a lot of the coaches and they were just saying, you know, we're so happy that Virginia Tech is back in this area. I was lucky enough to go to the Nova one. Uh, you know, Evan and Doug on our site uh, were able to go to the Richmond one. Uh, unfortunately, they didn't do one in the 757 this year. But, you know, the feedback from the coaches was completely different. Like the connections made everything. Like they're – they're making inroads for the future. They're brutally honest. You know, they didn't just do these conventions. And I know there's a lot more that goes into it, but they want to help out these high schools to cultivate talent for many years to come, help them with their schemes, help them with, you know, the problems they're having using their insight as collegiate coaches uh, to help them out. And I think it's paying huge dividends because, you know, in recruiting, it's oftentimes viewed as a one-way street. Like, Who's your top guy? Like, send him here. Uh, this is what we can do for him. But it's never the other way around. And so I've been really impressed with how they're relating to these coaches. The, the fact that they're seeing them every couple weeks, staying in contact with them. And you can see it from the recruits. Like, anytime we write a write-up, like, the amount of just, like, human connection between these coaches and the recruits are paying off. Now, I'm not going to say they're going to come out here and completely – take every single guy from the top 20, but, you know, in the long run, it, it's paying dividends. Like they have people welcoming them into their high schools and they're making those connections. And that's, what's important in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. And I, I love what you're saying about those relationships and how the, the two way street is working there, because I, I think not a lot of people talk about that as much, you know, relationships is not just about showing up in FaceTime. It's about, you know, working together, to help each other kind of build each other's programs there. Um, and, and I think that, that that success is going to build both directions there. So that's important. Let's talk about the RVA. Me and Curtis is the stomping grounds here. Six of the top 20 uh, are, are in the RVA area. Uh, you know, we had Fontel back on. He's kind of started to put up a wall a little bit in the 804, which we like to see. So we've had some success the last couple cycles here. Um, do you think we can land at least two of those uh, RVA recruits that are in the top 20? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Rayner's a guy that, you know, we've already put out a crystal ball. He has a good connection with Cam Fleming, you know, just a really good defensive back. Noah Jennings is another guy that we just put out a crystal ball for. So there's already two. Um, you're, talking, <laughs> you're talking about guys like Chris Cole, uh, Lamar Miller, who's visiting this weekend, I believe. Uh, Eric Smith is another one. Like, there's a ton of talent in Richmond. Fontel, you know, he was he was the guy for the staff in terms of recruiting last year. Like, the amount of success that he had. And it's not just, like, picking out these guys to, you know, try to influence future cycles. It's like these are legitimate playmakers in Richmond that they're able to quickly bridge that gap and get them onto campus, get them, you know, to represent their in-state school. So absolutely, like, I – Richmond's always going to be one of those big areas for Virginia Tech. And, you know, their ceiling goes as high as Richmond. And, you know, I really think it's it's important in every cycle. But this cycle is another great year for Richmond. And I think they'll, they'll at, yeah, at the very minimum, too. I'm expecting, like, four to five, oh, to be honest. okay. Stated here. I like that. Four, I, like that. I like that. Yeah, Mateus got he's getting us getting us a little too excited now. I gotta be a I gotta be a Debbie Downer, I guess, and, and, <laughs> and, and, and kind of go with the next point here, Matei. So last cycle, the Hokies got zero seven five seven kids. Um, I know the, the staff has been rebuilding those bridges and you know, trying to break back into that tight water area. Um, how you how you think we feeling and how you think we looking in that area for this year? Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely been an interesting area. It hasn't been as easy as Richmond, Nova. Um, you know, it, it's definitely going to take some time there. But I think especially this cycle, like you look last year, a lot of those guys were predetermined. Yeah. Like you're talking Penn State, uh, you know, Notre Dame. Like they're already going to these schools and Virginia Tech is like showing up at the door. Like we're still here to build these connections but we can't build the connections with the current crop of of recruits and i felt like 757 especially last year was heavily inflated towards the top this year feels you know there is a lot of high end talent but overall i think it's a lot higher like there's a lot more recruits that are d1 worthy from the 75 and you know like a guy like Keelan Adams would have never even picked up the phone when Virginia Tech called a couple of years ago. Right. And, you know, he's one of those guys that they brought onto campus. They have one black jersey that they're willing to give out and have recruits try on. He's the guy that, you know, they made the exception for. Like, they're – whether it's, you know, something as silly as that or as minor as that, like, they're pulling out those types of stops for him, and I think it is going a long way. You know, he's in constant communication with Virginia Tech. I'm not saying, you know, he's – basically every program in the country wants this guy, but he's building that connection. Now he's coming back to campus on a consistent basis. So you never know. And then you have other guys like Assad Brown lockdown cornerback. Like he's super high on Virginia tech. I thought he was going to shut down his commitment early. That's how much he liked cheetah. Uh, He's a guy that, you know, Virginia tech desperately needs to build around and, you know, kind of elevate his profile on the college level and show that to everyone else in the 757. Like, you need a more recent example of a guy that can really shine on the college stage. And, you know, Assad Brown, I'm excited for him. 
Yeah, uh, I want to I want to hit on a couple of or or something a little different off script here, um, because you brought it up. You talked about the uniforms. You talked about having the one black uniform. I know that you. I mean, you're the recruiting guy. That's why we got you here. How and we argue all the time. I'm an orange guy. Everybody <laughs> knows that. How how excited are the kids about the uniforms and, and the different colors? Um, whenever they're on recruiting trips. Yeah, I mean, they're very excited. I'll say, too, like, the production team, like the media team especially, obviously it helps getting, you know, additional staff, but the way they do photo shoots, the way they bring kids into the locker room, the amount of gear they have, like how everything is set up so well, um, it's definitely made a huge impact. So, you know, obviously recruits love that stuff and, like, you know, I wish they did have a couple more black jerseys or, you know, maybe they're just saying that and they're hiding the rest in the back, but uh, it's a big impact. I like it. I the like contract it. is up soon, so we, we might be getting soon. some, some fresh ones like coming it. out here soon. I'll say this. The jersey they never wore after 2010 that they should have, the Boise State jersey was that sick. Was bad. That, that was a – we lost that game, but that was a sick jersey that they never pulled out again. And it's like, why? You know, they, they did so much in the the mid-2010s with some combinations, and some were good, and some were, eh. But that was, like, such a good jersey, and they net, like, we lost the game. Like, who cares? We've lost in other colors before. Bring them back. Oh, that's, a whole nother, hey, that's a whole nother episode. That is a whole nother episode. <laughs> Wait. All right. So, let me let me pivot to this. Um, It's good to hear the stuff with the 757. I, I got the sheet up here. I looked up Keelan. Holy crap, is that – I mean, literally yeah. everybody yeah. in the country is offering him. We need That's him. Nuts. He's in y'all's top 100. Y'all have him rated as a four-star. Now, let me talk about this. And talking about Virginia still. Last year, 2023, huge cycle to start that rebridging process. 12 players. But let's be realistic. The highest rated was number 18, Caleb Woodson. Um who I know Brian's really high on because he thinks the way he's built that outside linebacker spot, tally high on it too, that he could probably come in and maybe by next year be pushing for it. But can the Hokies take a step on this trail? It's great they got that many players. And can they get a few top 10 prospects? And you've already mentioned two they're high on, but are there any other guys in that top 10 besides Asad and Keelan that they definitely have a legit shot at and could be in Blacksburg this time next year? Yeah, I mean, I know Fontel's working on uh, Chance Wiggins. He's a guy that, um, you know, obviously, I think he's a four-star. He is. Uh, Mason, Mason oh, Wade's another. Yeah. Uh, Mason Wade, I think, just cracked the top ten. He's kind of moving up. He's an absolute gym rat. He hits the gym like three times a day. I think he's listed at like 280. Last season he was playing at like 305 and then came back down but he's he's just a warrior like he's unbelievable um and then you know dj tolliver uh crooks is on him now uh kashawn henderson is another guy but uh shout out to dwight by the shout way. out my god <laughs> victory life and then i think you know one sleeper that i'll throw in there i think is josh clark uh who's in nova He's a DB. I know uh, Derek Jones is high on him. He's a guy that I think could really elevate as this process moves along. Like I would expect him to be a four-star, and I think Virginia Tech sits really well with him right now. 
Um, so there are numerous guys like last year, I looked at the top 10. I was like, there's no shot. Like, I want to give people good news. I want to say like, yeah, maybe there's a possibility like some of these Penn State guys with the pride connection, but there was absolutely no chance. I think this year there's a chance, like realistic shot at at least three. Okay. Um, at least Howard. three. Oh, wow. I mean, we're, we're happy, right? And I, 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 three I, right now. Hey, when Great. we were talking earlier today, I said Mason Wade, so – I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad yeah. to hear Matei throw, throw Mason Wade. Yeah, that I, I think he's phenomenal. Yeah. Oh wow. I'm glad, I'm glad you gave us a little insight on him because uh, we were kind of talking a little bit earlier about how he was kind of all over the board a little bit. I think you know, kind of rated different with some different uh, um, entities out there. But uh, to hear you talk about him, and I mean to say what you said because we, me and Brian were kind of talking. You know, off, offensive line is the hardest to judge for high school, so. To hear you say he's a gym rat, like he's putting in that work, and that's where it starts with with alignment. Because you know, once you get to college, the main thing that's different is you're not blocking 150 pound linemen anymore. You're not blocking 200 pound defensive linemen. You know, you're starting to get into the 250s and the and the and the 300. So that that I think that translates well for him, and I hope we uh, hope we go out and grab him. Yeah, we talked about that a lot. We were like, you know, it's, it's it's hard to recruit because of the variations in skill level and things like that, whereas skill positions, athleticism can always scale up. But when you look at, okay, well, this guy's pushing this guy around, but can that scale up? It's it's hard to really judge that, especially when you look at the, the talent level. So that's why you always see with offensive linemen, if you can recruit size, you at least know at worst you're going to have a good scout team body. So – if you can get a guy that's that kind of that ready, you're at least raising the bar of where you're at, and then you kind of can go up from there. And, and, and hopefully, you know, with Crook coming on board, we can get these kids develop, and hopefully we find some guys that are able to kind of contribute for us right away because we need it. We're, we're thin, especially at the uh, the tackle position, uh, you know, looking long term. So, Let's see. And I'll kind of go ahead and pivot, pivot off of Curtis here. Um, let's see. How well positioned are the Hokies to kind of take that next step, um, both organizationally and kind of with how they stand with the players of getting some more of those top 10 caliber players in the boat? Yeah, definitely. I think the conversations this year have elevated quite a bit. Like being able to go in on these guys, not just like this cycle, but last year, that makes a huge difference. Like, a year ago, you're, you're talking about these top 10 guys, whether it's Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, like unable to really start that relationship. And now you're talking about multiple year relationships with these guys. And I think, you know, with how big the staff is, how good the recruiting staff is, uh, and then having proven recruiters on, on the staff and getting more guys in, um, I, I think they're positioned pretty well. Like, obviously, it's a huge leap from last year to this year to even be in consideration for, you know, five of the top 10 guys. Uh, I know I named a few earlier, but um, I think they still have to make that next step and really earn those commitments. Like, there's a lot of guys that are very high on Virginia Tech and I think could have shut down their commitments already. Um, so, just seeing that closeout phase, I think, is is really what I'm eager to see next. 
I know you've you've hit on a couple of different uh kind of states and places that we've been and places that we're going moving forward, but I just wanted to kind of go back to that, Mate. Uh last year, Tennessee was um a state that we hit pretty hard. We got a lot of talent out of that state. Uh, when you talk about the uh, Aiden Green and uh, Chance Chance Fitzgerald and a couple of other guys there that we were we we uh, were able to pull in, do you foresee that continuing, or do you see us maybe you know picking up another state and getting talent out like we did out of Tennessee? Yeah, I, I think you know in a lot of ways last year what happened in Tennessee like. Sean Quinn deserves a lot of credit there. Like he's made a lot of inroads there. Um, and he's just great all around a great guy to be a representative of Virginia tech. But I think like a lot of those battles were towards the end of the recruiting cycle, picking up guys based on connections, like knowing high school coaches in the areas, kind of knowing the situations of the players, whether, you know, uh, you know, they weren't a fit at one school and, their recruitment opened back up. Um, but guys like Aiden Green was, you know, came late in the cycle. Mose Phillips was another one uh, that they were on for a while, but took a long time. I think there's going to be other territories that don't expect the same type of success. Like they're still going to recruit Tennessee, but, you know, Ohio, North Carolina, um, obviously Maryland now are kind of the big ones in terms of out of state. Hey, what about North Carolina? Where are we hitting? Because I mean, it's it's right there. You know, what the area what areas are we gonna be hitting in North Carolina this year? Because you've got really to me, you've got three. You've got the triangle, the triad, and Charlotte. Yeah, so I, I think the staff is taking a huge emphasis on Charlotte itself. Like obviously there's been an emergence with Charlotte Christian, Charlotte Catholic, there's Providence Day there. Um, there's been a lot of, you know, even before the staff, uh, a lot of inroads in Greensboro, uh, Salisbury's another up and coming area right outside. Um, you know, they're sitting well right now with a three-star edge, uh, Derek Dandy. He's a guy that's, you know, we put out a crystal ball for, uh, really likes Virginia tech has been on campus a few times. I think he's going to visit here coming up. Um, James Nesta is another guy. He's an inside linebacker, high three-star. He's visiting actually on Thursday. Um, and then they have some other guys, Deuce, Deuce Walker, another high three-star cornerback. Um, Edgen Boyer, who's a 6'8 uh, offensive lineman, who's high from Virginia Tech. Um, and then obviously Cheetah has been recruiting Brody Barnhart, who's a safety. Um, so, there, I mean, there's just a ton of talent in North Carolina and – Charlotte specifically is a major footprint. I think Virginia Tech, like when you're talking about where most of these kids are going to come from, I think they're looking to add, you know, as many as they can out of Charlotte. Yeah. And when we look at Charlotte, I mean, Charlotte's an area, um, I think, you know, people have talked about it before, you know, there's more Hokies in the Charlotte area than there are UNC and NC State grads. Yep. So it, it's a very hokey rich area that already has some of that, kind of mindset as, as these kids are kind of coming through school. So that's kind of, I think a big, uh, a, a very good jumping off spot for what they're trying to do in Carolina for sure. And I'll tell you something else. Um, you know, you starting to mention the names. I, I've got the pages up. I'm, I'm a nerd. You're mentioning three guys there with Dandy, 
Nesta, and they're they're three top twenty players in the state. It's not like we're getting into the thirties and the forties where we're scraping the barrel. We're talking about legit three top guys in the top twenty. And yeah, that says a lot to me because it's like you know, Tally, you know, jumped out making the point. We went to Tennessee. We found Chance Fitzgerald. That might have been the best recruiting story all year, right? Because, Matei, if, if people aren't familiar, tell them what happened because we weren't exactly in fight with little dogs to get that guy to come to Tech. No, there was a lot of big guys on him. I know Michigan, towards the very end, was, you know, they were really high on him. And, uh, you know, luckily the staff sold uh, a, a lot of, you know, that he – well, I'll say this. Um, <laughs> he uh, – there was a lot of good conversations going for the Hokies. And I think that, you know, ultimately the relationship uh, with his parents were the most uh, realistic out of the top schools that were recruiting him, but he's a phenomenal player, phenomenal wide receiver. Um, Obviously came on late towards the end of the cycle, but um, I think the persistence of the staff and showing how much they cared about him. I know some of the other schools were in on him. Um, but overall, yeah, I would say that Virginia Tech just really stayed on him in the end, and that was the difference in it. They didn't quit, which says a lot about this staff and the way they recruit compared to prior years. All right, I'm going to go tally here and be a little Debbie Downer negative Nancy. All right, so in the last few cycles, in the states of Georgia and Florida, two of the biggest football states in the country, we've only had – four recruits two are holdovers two are offered by this staff these are two talent rich states and the northern part of georgia down into atlanta that's in the footprint that brent pry continues to preach about why haven't we seen as much action in those two states because i feel like us as hokey fans i mean we just start throwing out names you think brandon flowers you think isaiah ford there's always talent. There's some, obviously some guys from Georgia I'm missing. But why haven't we hit it that hard? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. You know, it's one that in terms of, you know, these massive territories that uh, Virginia Tech is after, you know, whether it's, you know, Brad Glenn was a big connection last year in terms of Georgia. Obviously, Tyler Bowen has some ties to Florida. Um but, you know, for whatever reason, it just it didn't work out last cycle in Georgia. I know they're evaluating a lot of guys. Um, and then Florida, like, you know, you're talking about, like, Mario Kendricks, Narelle Pollard, like, guys on the roster right now that, like, are fan favorites. And I think, like, you know, kind of getting back to those roots is important. I'm still trying to figure out, like, obviously with the two new guys, like, they're going to be shifting – kind of the recruiting region. So I'm still trying to figure out like who exactly is in charge of Georgia, who's in charge of certain parts of Florida. Um, so I, I still think it's very much a work in progress. And, you know, a lot of the other areas we've talked about have kind of been established among the staff. Um, so I still think they're building those inroads and maybe it'll take time, but I'm with you. Like ball players just come from those states and you got to find a way. Like, even if you're talking about you know, a guy rated in the 60s in Georgia, he's probably comparable to a top 20 guy in Virginia. You know, like there's just so much competition in those states. So 
you know, hopefully uh, as things progress, they're able to land some more talent from there. Yeah. And looking at, you know, we've got a bunch of offers that are out there, but we haven't seen necessarily a whole lot of positive traction out of Georgia and Florida so far this cycle. Um, and we haven't really tapped into those, you know, Delray beach and Duval connections that we've seen previous staffs uh, pull from both going, you know, going back even to Beamer days. Um, what is you think is a reasonable amount of commits to kind of expect uh, from those two states this cycle? Is it still kind of in that one to two range or, or are we looking to maybe take a, a little bit of a bump up? You know, I wouldn't be surprised if it's more than that. Obviously, like still a lot of evaluation, still trying to bring guys on the campus. Um, you know, I think, you know, the name that jumps out to me the most in terms of Florida is A.B. Belford. Um, he's a guy that's super high. He named Virginia Tech in his top three. Um, I think with Texas A&M and Michigan State, if I'm remembering correctly, um, he's a guy that I'm looking at as they, you know, that's Bowen's guy right there, um, seeing if they're able to land him. So if they are, you know, that's one off the bat. But in terms of some of the other names, um, you know, still waiting to see what comes out of there. Like um, just haven't heard a lot of concrete info in terms of recruits just yet. Yeah, and it, and it makes sense. It's early in the cycle. How do they get the guys up? And, you know, we were looking the other day, and Daquan Wright ranked in the mid-30s. And, and you start saying, is that a place like in Georgia or Florida we circle? Do we circle in the mid-30s to go find talent? Because, you know, what did we do, Brian? We, we pulled up the state of Georgia. We looked, all right, the 35th ranked player in the state of Georgia this year is a four-star offensive lineman. <laughs> I think we'd all sit here and be like, all right, sold six foot four, <laughs> 230, 300 pounds. Sold. Just just get him on campus. And, yeah. you know, I think that's the point that we have a lot of Virginia itself is a talent rich state. But we are surrounded by so many talent rich states and we have connections, or we did have connections to the state of Florida for years. And that's why I look at those two in like you, you kind of said, and, and thanks for kind of clearing it up. It's like we don't – effectively what you're telling us is they're still having to build the relationships there as the program of Virginia Tech. And if we take a look at Brent Pry, it's almost start close, slowly build out, slowly build out, slowly build out. And, again, I'll go back to North Carolina. Those three in the top 20, and you saying they are feeling good and they have good you know things going for Tech, that's big. Um, but again, you know, it's the same way with like Florida, you know, you look and you think, you know, you talk about Davi Belfort, Davi Belfort's per two, four, sevens ranked 88. And you go look at him and it's like, okay, he's an 88 ranked player in the state. That's really low. And then you look a little bit closer and it's like, well, y'all have him as an 87. Y'all have him as a top 50 quarterback. He's still in the top – he's 88th in that state. He's still in the top 450 nationally. That's crazy to think that and, – and you look at like you look at his offer list. I mean, you mentioned AM, and got Michigan State on his trail. You've got all sorts of SEC, Big Ten, and ACC schools offering him. So, I mean, again, and if he's – and if he's – not pride, if he's Bowen's guy – why not pull the trigger? If Pop Watson was Bowen's guy, you pull the trigger, you get them in, and you compete. You know, the transfer portal was generous to the Hokies so far this year. We we all will admit that. 
But just kind of looking at the numbers and hearing things, you know, how much movement do you foresee after spring? And do you think with how big the class could potentially be for this cycle, um, how could it affect that? Yeah, I definitely think that um, there's going to be a lot of movement this spring. I mean, Pry was kind of talking about it earlier today, just saying that, you know, they're constantly evaluating the guys, whether it's in the hunger drills during the winter. Now they're getting into practices. Um, I foresee quite a bit of attrition coming. And, um, you know, whether it's, I, I, I think they would be open because, you know, like when once the transfer portal opens back up, there's going to be some names in there that I feel like, you know, if you can grab them, plug them in, they're veterans, whether they have connections with any of the current staffs uh, from former schools or, or whatnot, um, you know, they could nab another guy or two out of the transfer portal. But definitely, like, there's a vision in place uh, for getting, you know, whether it's the next recruiting class, getting a plethora of talent in, you know, just kind of making the roster how I envisions it, just kind of working all those things out. Well, now, let me let me ask this because as I take a look here at the 247 transfer portal, you know, I get into the top 50. Most of those guys are committed elsewhere. But is this a chance after spring? Could there be potential former 247, you know, top 300 players that eventually maybe went to the wrong fit? Um, maybe, you know, went somewhere, coaching changes happened. And now, not effectively that they want to move out, but, okay, the guy who recruited me isn't here anymore. The scheme's changing. I need to get in the portal to try to find a home. And when they're that young, is like a redshirt freshman, essentially they're still an unknown product, right? It's almost like recruiting a high school kid again. Yeah, 100%. Um, I know there was a – I'm blanking on the name right now, but I know that there was a four-star guy out of Virginia that was committed to Notre Dame oh, yeah. and just backed off. So that's like one example um, where, you know, something shifts or it doesn't work out, release from your NIL or NLI. Um, but, you know, that's, you know, an opportunity for Virginia to open up that conversation. Um, I know – that guy is um, looking at Michigan, Ohio State, some of the other Big Ten schools right now. I know Virginia Tech is in contact, but, um, you know, there's going to be several cases like that where you have a four-star guy, whether, you know, even the high three-star guys that, you know, release from a certain school, um, you know, a freshman that doesn't see where they fit into the equation, all of a sudden they're on the move. Um, obviously, the transfer portal brings craziness. And you can't really predict what's going to happen. But, um, you know, this staff is very in tune with it. And I think that they're constantly evaluating, checking every day. And if there's a way to make Virginia Tech better, they'll, they'll take that opportunity. Sounds good. So let, let's talk about this then. Um, you know, we with the last staff and, and just recruiting in general over the last few years, you know, it seems like roster management um, hasn't been great and we've kind of gotten to a head the last couple of years with that in terms of the on the field product. From a roster management perspective, what position group can we not afford to have low number of commits in this cycle? Uh, it has to be defensive tackle. Like it just has to be. 
Um, I, you, you look at the roster now, again, you have like Kendricks, you have um, Narell Pollard, you have Fuga, like who could all potentially go. Uh, and then you got to backfill that. I think Wilfred Penne is a redshirt junior at this point, uh, obviously has an extra year. But if that's your number one guy going into the next season, then, you know, that kind of shows you how you built that room. Um, I know that they're looking at a guy like Micah Penix, who's not rated right now um, out of Virginia. Um, he's coming to campus soon. Uh, they have Emmett Laws, who's an absolute stud from DeMatha. Obviously, the DeMatha uh, connection. Mm-hmm. Um, he's visiting as well this weekend. Um, he's a guy that I think is like the absolute number one uh, priority target in terms of defensive tackle. Um, I would Get Brooks on that man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like they, they need to pull out all the stops for him. Um but again, it's one of those positional units where, like, it shouldn't be that hard to evaluate guys in high school, but somehow it is. And I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, Virginia Tech is going into the portal next offseason and plucking out two guys that are, you know, have done it, um, have the body type they're looking for and, and can play in their scheme. Um, so, I understand, like, you don't want to just reach and get guys if they're not going to be able to uh, compete, but definitely defensive tackle is one of those positional groups where they got to get it right. So you're pretty much saying we got to kind of front fill and back fill. Yeah. Definitely. Portal, and, heavy, re, re, portal heavy, 2024 class heavy. Man, hit that, hit that portal as hard as we can. I'm all for it. And another, you know, I guess the next question – that we'll kind of go with our next topic we'll bring up is what you kind of led into. Um, we're closing out the 23 class. We kind of know what we have and what we need, but looking back over that class, um, I'll tell you, who do you think was the, the most important recruit in that cycle? It's a good question. I'm, I know it's kind of the easy answer, but I would say Lath Gannon because not only like when you have a guy like that, and I think what, gets lost in translation a lot in terms of looking at 24 seven sports profiles is like when a guy commits kind of early, like they don't report offers anymore, but there are still teams that are actively after them. And I know that West Virginia was a major force. Penn state was going up against Virginia tech. There are some other big 10 schools in the mix that really wanted him. And he's very like, he already has rave reviews on campus He's a guy, obviously, with crooks that, you know, they'll build a good connection there. Um, but he was someone that a lot of schools wanted. And even though his offer list is, you know, pretty insane to look at on the site, like add 20 more offers to that. Like there were a lot of guys asking about him. UNC was another team that was trying to take him late in the cycle, really trying. Um, but he stayed committed the whole time. So obviously Joe Rudolph is gone. but. You know, he really believed in the Virginia Tech vision. He's an early enrollee, uh, and I think he's going to do great things with uh, with Crooks. I'll tell you, I got I to gotta go at something else, too, that I've been wondering. This is just me and you. We don't have to get Curtis and, and Brian involved in this. <laughs> you ain't on, you, you're not being recorded. You can be honest with me. He's not being recorded on a live You're not, you're not being recorded on live. Just be honest right now. A lot of us fans think – when a player commits to certain schools, they get a bump or they get a drop. 
Is that true or is that just fictional thinking? It is fictional, but I do like the narrative of it. I like when, like, I like when people see, you know, well, I don't like it because when it happens to Virginia Tech, it's always a drop. Yeah. <laughs> and State, it's always a bump. But it, it's it's more like, uh, and I don't do rankings myself, thankfully. Um, otherwise, I would have every recruit in my DMs. Um, but, you know, guys, when they're, when they're evaluating, like when a guy commits, like they're looking again at that tape and making another decision on it. Um, there are times, especially like Virginia Tech, like they don't want someone committed without being evaluated in terms of like, you know, if it's an unranked guy uh, that they haven't gotten around to yet and he commits to a school, like all of a sudden he jumps to the top of the list in terms of who they're going to rank next. So right. a lot of the times when you see like a Mose Phillips, like he got a ranking like two weeks after he committed. Right. All right. So he has put the myth to bed. Valley. <laughs> I should feed I into it. When we got the man on, I had to ask. That's a good question. I, I'm going to ask you this question. Even though you've mentioned Ganim is the most important recruit, there's 11 guys enrolled, including him. Which one of those guys do you think, you know, we're, we're talking in August, you know, chatting with you in some way, shape, or form, and we're hearing from camp like, this guy's killing it. This guy's going to be on the field for whatever unit he's with. He's going to get to some special teams action. Who are you hearing? Do you think in six months, right? Six months, yeah. Six months, they're Math on the field. Huh? Math is hard. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm going to give you two answers for this. Right. Uh, offense, one on defense, but a guy like Aiden Green, another early mm. in the league, I know he's listed at like six foot and a half. I think he checked in at like 6'2". Um, he was 160 on his profile, and he's like closer to 175. Okay. Like he's a guy that's been turning a lot of heads. And I know they brought in like a ton of transfer transfer portal talent, well, transfer portal talent into the wide receiver room. But I think he's a guy that can scratch the two deep because he's not like he's versatile enough to play in the slot, but he can also play out wide. And I know it's it's you know. Maybe it's easier to put him, you know, spot reps uh, in the slot, but I really think he could be someone that, you know, comes in as, you know, the fifth or sixth wide receiver next year. Like, I think they really want to build a rotation there. Um, and I think he's a guy that could produce. I'm not going to say, like, he's going to have over 500 yards, you know, five touchdowns, but he's someone that I think, like, we'll see pretty early on. And uh, I think he could establish himself definitely in the two deep. Before you before you go on to your next uh, player, Matei, do you know how welcoming that is as a fan that had Caleb Smith last year, the only wide receiver catching passes? For you to say <laughs> you think we may have an early impact player being our fifth or sixth wide receiver? Hey, I told y'all, man, I'm feeling good this year. <laughs> I'll say this too because, you know, I, I like getting the morale up and I'm always hesitant to pick wide receivers because mm-hmm. You know, a guy like Tucker Holloway, like we were hearing great things about him last year getting into the two deep. And obviously we saw some flashes on special teams. Um, But, yeah, I really do think Aiden Green does have that type of talent that, you know, could establish himself in there. Um, And if he shows up and, you know, the system works, like obviously no freshman's going to do well in last year's offense. But I think, you know, a more simplified version, getting more guys on the field, 
you know, not making the scheme as complex this year, I think is really going to help some of the younger guys. Uh, and then defensively, like, surprisingly, like, I've heard a lot of good things about Mose Phillips. Um, I know that safety is obviously, you know, you're looking to build depth there. Um, you know, Jalen Stroman, Sear Peoples are obviously, like, the two guys you're looking at there. Um, but I think outside of that, like, you know, Mose Phillips can push a Jalen Holt coil um in the two deep and really establish himself like he's a hard hitter he's a physical guy uh he does remind me a bit of chamari connor um and you know i think he could make an instant impact like he's really impressed um and i think he goes beyond his rating like uh he was just kind of one of those sleeper guys late in the cycle and he's showing up and playing well so um i think he's another one that could sneak in there all right, let me ask this because I feel like this is kind of something that can kind of put a bow on this 23 situation. So, you know, we talked a lot about relationships. We talked about how the staff is really rebuilding those bridges in Virginia. <clears throat> Let's take Highland Springs and their players out of the mix because we know the relationship there with Lauren Johnson and everything else. What's a player or a, a school that, that we targeted this cycle that could that we got to recruit from that could really benefit the Hokies for future cycles. Yeah, I'm going to go with the cop out answer here, and I'm going to say Dante Lovett, Dematha, Elijah Brooks. Like, <laughs> I forgot he was. I forgot he was from Dematha. We just yeah yeah. Oh yeah, that's, he was excited. This makes it easy, right? Like. Like, we sent you this question over the weekend before the hire was made, and you're probably were thinking about it, thinking about it. Elijah gets hired. Oh, that's so easy to math. <laughs> well, you know, and I'll say this too. I don't know if it's more of like a DeMatha specific connection more than it is about like putting Maryland on notice. Like, yeah. Virginia Tech is here. You know, it's not just about Maryland anymore. Like, you have a guy that worked with Mike Loxley who's now recruiting for a rival school, like mm -hmm. that knows all the high school coaches that knows the culture there. Uh, you have a guy like, again, like Dante Lovett could have been an example of a guy that was very important to keep. Like a lot of schools wanted him. Um, you know, I don't know if they're going to get a guy like Tavani Mizell, uh, who's, you know, I think he's a five-star running back out of DeMatha, mm -hmm. uh, just decommitted. Uh, he's probably going to head to the SEC, but, um, you know, between, um, Brooks, Bowen, Pry, like Maryland in general, yeah, is you know I'm very excited to see all the recruiting news come out of there. Well, and 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 it's the third highest offer list per two four seven. You've got Virginia, North Carolina, Maryland's third at twenty two by itself. Mm. And looking, it's a talented class. And you mentioned Dematha. What about St. Francis? St. Francis puts out good players. We got Cam Johnson who got some PT mm -hmm. last year. Um, good counsel. It's a lot of places up there, and now again Gonzaga having, and St. John's. I mean, there's oh yeah, Gonzaga and St. John's, which now with a whole new coaching staff, we maybe can go back in there. Let's not talk about that whole situation, Jesus Lord. But it's it's like I, I think the the Mansour Delaney thing. I was mentioning this to Italian Brown earlier today. Maybe one of the biggest selling points. First of all, his brother who is already looking like going to be a unbelievable stud. It's a Kendall Fuller situation. Little brother or big brother was good. Little brother's elite. But yeah. you start thinking about Mansoor coming in, and they basically, you're good enough to play, go out there and play. 
and how easy that is to sell. And then you start going into those schools and say, hey, listen, if you come here and you're good enough to play, you're not going to sit on the bench. Mm-hmm. So these other schools, guess what they're going to do? Because they've got to keep all the four and five stars happy. You might have to sit three years when you don't get to play. And that's still the most, I think, as a fan, and it's probably all of us, you see talented players go somewhere and sit and sit and sit. And then finally they have to start, and they show out. But you sit here and you know for a fact, dude, you could have went anywhere in the country as a true freshman and started playing. But you went to Alabama, you went to Georgia, and, oh, they're going to develop me. Like, dude, you're already developed. All they're doing is taking their brand and sticking it on you. And anybody could do that. Sorry, I ran over boys. We've been almost went two hours. It's closing in. Is it 11 o'clock yet? It's Not quite. Are, you, are you going to the spring game? I'm trying to. Okay. So I'm trying to. I haven't made accommodations yet. I'm working with uh, Evan G. Watkins on that right now, but definitely go. trying to. Well, if you and Evan need a bodyguard, y'all let me and Brian know. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we, we're going to be there. We're going to have some some BCP uh, gear for you, and we're going to be ready to uh, grab some recruits and put there some rankings on them. Let's do it. All right. Gentlemen, have y'all checked the Twitter sphere? Has anything broken? Anything interesting happened in the last two plus hours? Let me check and see if I got my follow yet. Uh, oh, uh, no, he's, he's still on here. Never mind. I didn't look no, no, no. Check it. Check it. You need to check it. You need to check it. Nope, not yet. Not yet. It's coming. Hold on. Live. This is a huge moment for Tally. This is pretty big, man. <laughs> <laughs> this is, this is hey, we got it. Hey, got documented it. on live on air. Got it. On and, air. He, and he looks like a movie star on his picture on there too, man. He's got the perfect hair and the blue eyes, man. He's ready on that. Listen, it's a flattering photo. <laughs> hey, man. Listen, we we can't thank you enough for coming on. This is this is your third time on. It is always a blast to have you. Circle July. Figure out when your vacation is so we can circle the date because in July after camps, we know there's going to be some things breaking. We definitely want to have you back on again, man. Absolutely. And I can't wait to like, it's always so fun between the times we do it to look at the names we're talking about it's true. and then the names that come in. Yeah. Like what's changed, what hasn't, how much movement we've had. You can say his name because you stamped it July. Unless something doesn't change, he's going to pit. And he went to bed. Yeah. <laughs> you stamped it. I, I think you broke some people, some Virginia Tech fans' hearts that night, but you were just being real with us. The man knows his stuff. He does, man. Well, listen, that is going to wrap up this episode of the Boundary Corner Podcast, brought to you by Main Street Pharmacy in Blacksburg with our guest, Matei Sis. I'm Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler. Talibans. Visit our website, boundarycornervt.com. Um, to listen to all of our episodes. Also visit our newly launched merchandise shop, The Boundary Corner Store. While you're there, do not forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Subscribe to our YouTube account, Still Growing. Your favorite podcast source, including Spotify, Amazon, and Apple Podcasts. As always, we let our buddy Jason Long, he plays us in, he plays us out. 
check him out at his website, jasonlongmusic.com. There, it's going to link you to all of his music, including Apple, including Spotify, also his YouTube account, and Facebook pages. He's got a new single coming out soon. I know he's working on it. He's also working on something for us, if we can get a certain guest um, in the, uh, hey, hey, this could be a big surprise, but he, he's working on some things for us as well, you know, and I don't think. I think Jason might have just quit. I'm looking here. I don't see anything. It's like he may have gave up. Just he's in the he's in the studio. He's in the studio. So we thank you for listening. And as always, let's go. Okay. Okay.